Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. So, we've been talking about the life of a Jesus follower. And I hope that you've caught it. I hope that right now you understand that the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. It's about relationships. When, how we sort of got here was we took the life of Jesus and you look at the life of Jesus and you boil his life down. Jesus had relationships with people. We noticed that, God, that he had his first and most important relationship was with the Father, Right? That was the first and important relationship that Jesus had. But then we talked about and discovered that Jesus not only had a relationship with the Father, but out of that relationship flowed his relationship with the disciples. And we liken that to today. That's, that's the church. That's right. That's our fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Jesus, he had a relationship with the world. That is that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen. See, Christianity, we got it wrong. People think that Christianity being like religion is a bunch of doing. You know, if I just go to church, if I read my Bible, if I give my money, if I do good works, it's about a bunch of do, 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 do. But listen, Jesus didn't just do, amen? Jesus had relationships, and the relationships sort of drew, uh, drove what he did, amen? So out of his relationship with the Father, he even tells us. He don't even speak on his own initiative. He said, if what I see the Father do, that's what I do. When I hear the Father say, that's what I say. So everything that we do as Christians should flow out of our relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what ought to be driving what I do. Not doing so in order I can have a relationship. Amen? But listen, it's not just about not doing things. But listen, some people think Christianity is about knowing things. If I just have this knowledge, if I just gain a bunch of theological truth. Well, let me tell you, there is no one more theologically correct and astute in the Bible than the devil. The Bible says he knows. The demons even know. And the Bible says they shudder. Why? Because they know their destiny. They know where they're heading. They know that they've lost. But it doesn't make them change, does it? And so we can't just base Christianity on a bunch of doing things and a bunch of knowing. We base it on the key word. Remember the key word we used was the word abide. We need to abide. And Jesus used that in John 15, 5. If you remain in me and I in you. Listen, if you abide in me and I abide in you. He says, then, then you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, apart from abiding in me, you can do zero. You can do nothing. Amen. See, everything flows out of relationship with Jesus. So it is that word to abide. Can I just give you one truth I want you to write down? Listen to this one truth. One of the beauties, one of the beauties of God's image in us, and, and I realized that image was marred. I realized that through the fall, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, that that image was, was flawed now because of that. And the whole purpose of redemption is to restore us, right? But listen, one of the beauties of God's image in us is that we, you and I, we are created for community with others. Did you know that? You and I are, let me say it this way. When you read the Bible, when you think about God, has there ever been a time when God was alone? 
You ever thought about that? Has there ever been a time when God was alone? Why is it that we think that? We think that God is this cosmic being who has always existed in all of eternity by himself. But that's not true. That's not true. As a matter of fact, when I think about this beauty of being created in the image of God for community, I think about verses like Genesis one twenty six, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. When I think about that, I think about, Who is he talking to? Well, we get the answer in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created that were in heaven and that were on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and what? For him. So the Father, when he says, let us make man in our own image, let, him, let us make him in our likeness, is talking to the eternal Son. Jesus was not a person who came into existence at the time of his birth in Bethlehem. Jesus always was. And so we know that in the beginning, God is talking with his son. But that's not all he's talking to. That's not all who he's talking to, rather. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the very beginning of it, it says this. In the beginning... God created the heavens and earth. By the way, that's our beginning, not his beginning. Amen? He doesn't have one. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let me tell you what. When he said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, he is talking to the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, but he's also talking to the eternal Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. There is this triunity, we call it. I can't explain it. Listen, there's nothing really that we can do to explain it. We can't use water because water is really inadequate. We can't use an egg because it's way inadequate. Listen, I don't know how to explain it. I'll just tell you it's beyond me. But I will just tell you that for eternity, there has been this community. This community of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And listen, the whole story of humanity flows out of that relationship of the Trinity. Think about that for a minute. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit being eternally one. Listen, never ever were they ever broken apart. Never ever did they not experience that oneness until there's one time. One time they did not experience it. You remember what it was? It was when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he became the propitiation for our sin. That is the payment for our sin. And he would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That, and he did that for us. Think about that. You mamas know a little bit about that. When you drop your kid off at the nursery for the first time, you have that little precious baby and you, you know, you stay in the home, you know, people don't stay at home like they used to, but. But you stay at home for a little period of time. You wait for your baby to get, you know, grown a little bit. And then you bring them to church. And then you take them to the nursery. You drop them off. And you're like, ah, don't want to do it. Ah, I want to do it, you know. You know, you sort of understand that anxiety of that separation. Jesus would take our sins upon himself and be separated from the Father for the first time. And, you know, when I think about community being birthed out of this beauty of the Godhead, I think about that day when Jesus... And God made us. 
He made a man named Adam. You remember Genesis chapter 1. But if you read over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we find that in God serving his creation, everything he said, everything he created was good. He created the sun. It's good. Created the light, it was good. Divided the sea, and it was good. Created the plants, it was good. Created animals, it was good. Everything he created, he said, it is good. Until Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And he says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should do what? Be alone. Be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. The Father said for the first time that it wasn't good. And what wasn't good? There was not a community for the man to belong in. There was not somebody who was a helper to come alongside. And by the way, community begins with a family unit. Amen? It begins with a husband and a wife. And out of that is birth community. Amen? And so here God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a helper. You know what God did first though? That's when God created the animals. God brought the animals before him. And you know, when he brought the animals before him, you know, why do we have names of animals? Because Adam said, that's the name I'm going to call that thing. An elephant's an elephant, an alligator's an alligator. And he called them what they were. You say, oh, come on, that's silly. Read the Bible. That's what it says. Whenever he called them, that was their name. Amen? Can you imagine when he got to the duck-billed platypus? You know? <laughs> what am I going to call this thing? You know? And so it says he named all the animals. That's God's design, by the way, not only to identify the need for a helper, but to have Adam understand his need. Amen? Can you imagine? As he named these animals, none of them, the Bible says, was a comparable helper. That is, there wasn't somebody who complimented him. That's what the word in Hebrew means, as a person who contributes to the fulfillment of the need Oh, the, further, the furtherance of an effort or purpose. So this person to come alongside him, there was not one. So Adam needed relationship, and so God created Eve. Amen? And you had this first community coming together. See, here's, here's something you need to know. Us, we being created for a community... That although God designed our relationship with him, and here's what people say all the time, God has designed my relationship with him to be personal, and it is personal. I cannot be saved on the coattails of anybody else. Amen? My relationship with God, Caleb, is me and God. Hallelujah. Jesus deals with us personally. There's not, there's not anything that I'm going to suffer because of the consequences of my parents. I stand alone between me and God, and you do too. You're not going to heaven because grandma was a Christian. Amen? You're only going to heaven by the repentance of your own sin. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done at the cross of Calvary for you. And when I think about that, that God in our relationship with him is personal. Do you know he never designed it to be private? That is that God never designed for us to live in relationship with him behind closed doors. But to always to live public. Amen? I mean, Jesus did say, right, if you deny me before men, I will deny. But I want to talk about the private, in the, in the, or excuse me, not the, the private, it's not just about denying him, but it's also about living in community together. That is that no Christian, I remember back in the day, we used to go in the early 90s to the uh, Promise Keepers Conference. Any of you guys ever been to the Promise Keepers Conferences? The big lingo, the big talk of the Promise Keepers. Every year they talked about no man is an island. We are not to live Christianity by 
ourselves. It is not a private relationship. So the Father, here it is, the Father created us to enjoy a relationship with him in the context of enjoying relationships with others. Isn't that beauty? Out of that relationship with God, I have a relationship with you. That is just a tremendous blessing. So today I want you to write this key word down. It's the key word, connect. See, Jesus had this relationship with the Father. Primary relationship, but listen, it was also the foundational relationship. Amen? So it's the first relationship. It is the priority of my relationship. But listen, it's also the foundation by which my relationship with others, his relationship with the disciples flows out of. So I build my relationship with you on and out of my relationship with the Father. Amen? But nonetheless, this is a key and an important relationship. That's why we use the word connect. You know, we, in our bulletin, in our worship guide, when we invite guests, we want you to connect. with us. We use that word intentionally because that's what it's about. That's what church is about. It's about connecting together. Amen? And so let me give you an important truth. The New Testament, when you serve in the New Testament, knows nothing of Christianity without community. Do you know that? There is nowhere in the scriptures that you can find where our relationship uh, with Christ is disjointed or disconnected from a community of believers. It, it, it just doesn't happen. So as a follower of Jesus, am I, I got to ask myself, am I living out my relationship with God in relationship with other Jesus followers? Am I doing that? And what I want to do is I want to talk about that this morning in three different ways, three realities. So here's reality number one as we think about it. If we think about living in relationship together as a church, listen to what this statement says. Because I have a relationship with God, I have a relationship in God's family. Think about that. Because I have a relationship with God. When I, in New Jersey, in 1984, New Year's Eve, gave my heart to Christ, when I surrendered, when I realized that I was sinful, and in my sinfulness, not just because of the bad things I'd done, by the way, it was bad things that drove me to that place, but I re- began to examine my life, and the bad things I'd done came out of this lifestyle, or this, this, this old man inside of me who caused me to sin, because I was dead in my trespasses, and that's all I was capable of doing, when I realized and acknowledged that before God, and said, God, I need the mercy of God, I need the grace of God, I need what Jesus Christ has done for me, dying for my sin on the cross, his blood shed to wash away my sin, I need what he has done for me, his death on the cross, but yes, his resurrection from the dead, to reconcile me, God, to make me right with you, because I cannot be right by myself. It is impossible. When that happened, guess what? God put me in relationship with you. Now, I didn't even know you then. I didn't even, I had no idea. I told you last week, I had no idea that I would ever live in Alabama. I had no idea. I had no idea that when I moved to Mississippi, (laughs) that I was going to meet brothers and sisters in Christ that would become so dear to us as family. I never knew that. But that night I got saved. That night God put me in his family. It's like getting married. When you say I do, you get the in-laws too. Amen. You get the in-laws. Listen to how John explains it in John chapter one, verses 12 through 13. Listen to what he says. But as many as receive him, talking about receiving Jesus, to as many as receive him, 
To them, he, that is God, gave the right, that is the authority, gave them the right to become, here it is, children of God. To those who believe in his name. See, it's nothing you do. It's not a bunch of knowledge you have. It is surrendering in belief. It is called faith. He said, who believe on his name, who were not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, wasn't even your idea, <laughs> but of the will or the will of man. But listen, it was of God. God supernaturally confronted your life through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and you were saved. Amen. Some people won't be saved because of that. They'll refuse and reject in unrighteousness the beauty of God's grace. So think about this. Because of me being thrown into the family by God, and by the way, it is him who did it because of this package deal. I find it in Acts 2.41. Remember, we looked at Acts 2.41 before, but look at this verse again. And those who gladly received his word. Talking about Peter preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they said, what must we do to be saved? Repent and believe. That's what he said. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. He said, and those who gladly received the word then were baptized. And that day, I want you to see something. In that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. That word added is very interesting in the Greek because we look at that and go, man, okay, that, man, they had like 3,000 people show up at church. That's pretty awesome, man. But that's not what it's saying. Here's what it's saying. They were added to them. That word added is passive voice. In the Greek, what that means is they didn't add themselves. They didn't decide to just go on to church. The Bible says God added them. And so the Bible says God puts us in the body of believers. 3,000 were added to 120. Now you got 3,120 people who are following Jesus in community together. And they live in this community together. Amen? And so for you and I, in relationship with God, we have this relationship with God's family. I want you to think about this statement. Write this down. This is, this is incredible. You will never know the very best that God has in store for you and for your life apart from a relationship with him and his family. Amen. Think about that. As you have a relationship with God and that stems into your relationship with the family, that's when I really get to know God more. Amen? It is through that relationship that I I live out with you that you help me. You help me in my relationship to understand God. Amen. Would you not say that's true? Certainly that is true. As we walk together, as we, you know, fellowship together, we help each other. We stir each other on. We encourage each other. And we learn from one another about this awesome father. And one day, we're going to be in heaven together. With all the brothers and sisters around the world, it's going to be a beautiful thing, isn't it? From every nation and tongue and tribe and peoples, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. See, here's the reality. When I realize that in my relationship with God, I'm in a relationship with God's family, it brings me to a place of humility. Remember last week we talked about humility? Humility says, God, I need you. But also humility says, you know what? I need you, but you need me. Amen. And it's not in the sense, I'm not saying that from a preacher standpoint. I'm not saying because you've got to have a pastor at a church to be a church. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying that this relationship that we enjoy as followers of Christ, as, as these followers of Jesus, we need each other. So I need you and you need me. That is so true. So true. 
The second thing I want you to write out, second reality is this. It is impossible. This is going to hurt a little bit. This is, it is impossible to be right with God and not be right with God's family. You know, these people that, that will say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's a lie of Satan. That's a lie of the devil. You know why? Because how can you be right with God and not care anything about his family? That would be like saying, Pastor, I love you, but your family needs to go live in a cardboard box. You know, that's not going to happen, I'm going to tell you, by the way. <laughs> but it's hard to say I'm in a relationship with God, but I'm not right with God's family. That is, that is just crazy thinking. John chapter 14, verse 15, we looked at it last week. Jesus said this, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. It's not that you better show me you love me by my kid. Remember we talked about that? It's the relationship and out of the relationship with my relationship with God the Father, I will obey. Amen? What's the commandment? You ever thought about yourself? What is the commandment Jesus is talking about? Five times he talks about the commandment in chapter 14. He defines it for us, I believe, in John 15. Here's how he defines it. This is my commandment. Huh? That's how I know he defines it. <laughs> this is my commandment. That what? That you love one another as I have loved you. There's the commandment. Man, that's not hard, is it? What, what is he saying? Jesus is saying, I, I, I cannot be right with God and Jesus if I'm not right with you. It's impossible. It's impossible to say, I want a relationship with God, but not a church. See, people get it wrong. They don't mind coming to Jesus and having a relationship with him. But they don't want to go to church. They don't want to be a part of his family. You can't help but be a part of his family. I told you, I told him again Wednesday night. When I got saved, listen, God didn't have to call or have somebody call me on Sunday morning and say, Hey, Mike, you can get out of bed and go to church? I got myself out of bed and went to church. Amen? I was 17. And I got up in time to go to church on Sunday morning. Amen? You know what that means? You teenagers can do it. You millennials can do it. Amen. The old people, well, you don't ever go to sleep, do you? The older I get, the more I realize I don't get sleep like I used to get. Amen. It takes me longer to go to sleep. And then I get up earlier. Every year I seem to get older, I get up earlier. Is that ever going to stop, y'all? Oh, my word, Lord, help me. So the first evidence, there it is, write it down. The first evidence that I am in relationship with God is that I love his family. I love his family. John writes it this way in 1 John chapter 4. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's pretty, pretty steep. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how? How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must, what? Love his brother also. Hate is one of those words that we pick up on and go, you know, I got to love you, but I don't have to like you. I'm going to tell you, have you, I've said that. Have you ever said that? There's some people in the church, can I just be honest, I've said that about it. I said, you know what? I have to love them, but I sure don't like them. You know what? If you have an ill feeling towards somebody, that's hate. Let's not play spiritual little games with each other, okay? The reality is 
That yet in the church, there's going to be times where I don't like you. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like you. There's been times, can I, can I just be honest? There's times with some of you in this room, you have drove me incredibly nuts. All right? There have been times in this room where we have tied up in conversation and it wasn't a good conversation. But you know what? Hopefully, we've come back and we said, you know what? I forgive. I'm sorry. And you know what? Out of that, then I can truly say, I love you. Amen? And here's, here, here's the beauty of it is. The beauty of it is, is that if we are having those kinds of relationships, then we can be a church that don't necessarily get along all the time, but we will go back to the, the commandment, right? We will go back to love. So I may not always get along. There's a guy sitting in this room here today. He and I had a conversation about two weeks ago. I don't know if he remembers me having this conversation with him here. two weeks ago. Here's what, here's what we talked about. Talk about. You know what? We may not always agree, agree together. And we've even butted heads a couple of times. But you know what he said to me? He said, but I've always and always will love you. And I said, brother, I love you too. See, when we say love, that doesn't mean that we necessarily say, well, you know, we're going to tie two cattails together. They're not in love. Amen. They're not unified. They're going to kill each other to get apart. But what that says is, you know what? We're going to disagree. We're not always going to have. Listen, I keep my independence. You keep your independence. Praise God for that. You know what? Praise God for that. That's why we got a multitude of people and leaders in a church. Because, listen, if you were all like me, you'd be messed up. And not only that, nobody would drive on 84 because we'd run them all off the road. So, <laughs> that's not half true, uh, half lie, by the way, either. So, I mean, that's, that's probably partly true. But uh, I wrote, drove out. Roger, you saw me yesterday coming across the, the way there, the light. I didn't see that motorcycle guy until I was in the, in the middle of the road. You're probably going, what is he doing? I just didn't even see him. So, sorry, motorcycle people. I'm one of those people you don't like. Just don't hate me. All right? So, so here it is. Here, listen, listen to Roy Hessen. Roy Hessen in his book, the, the Calvary Road. Listen to what he says. Everything that comes as a barrier between us and another, be it ever so small, becomes a barrier between us and God. Our relationship with our fellows and our relationship with God are so linked that we cannot disturb one without disturbing the other. Here's how Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now, that's pretty important to understand. Jesus is saying you come to the altar and you got something against your brother. Because you know what? I think he's taking it for granted. You've already resolved those issues. That if you're a follower of Christ, you've already resolved that issue in your heart. You've already dealt with that. If you had somebody that you had something against, you've already made that right. That should, that should just be the heart of a believer. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they should be called the sons of God. Why? Because God is a great peacemaker. So if I bring my, my gift to the altar, I should have already dealt with it. But maybe you're at the altar and the Holy Spirit supernaturally says... Hey, Mike, your relationship with so-and-so is not right. Why isn't it right? Because my brother has something against me. Leave your gift on the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. You cannot have a relationship with God and not with his family. Don't ever think you can. We need each other. We sharpen each other. 
And that's the third point. Here it is, write it down. Reality number three. My relationship with God grows by my relationship with God's family. <laughs> it is in my relationship with others that helps me to deepen this relationship. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. See, Christians come together and we sharpen one another. We, we help each other to grow in Christ. You know, I have been blessed over the years. I really have by some great mentors in my life. And you met one of those mentors about five years ago. Claude King came and Claude uh, preached uh, with us and he launched us into Come to the Lord's Table. And by the way, we're going to be doing that study again on Wednesday nights and in through the church. And I'll be talking about that more next week. But I want you to just think about Claude King. Claude and I spent a lot of personal time together riding in the car. And, uh, and, and when you ride with people like that, you just keep your mouth shut. And you listen. And I'll never forget, one of the things I learned from Claude was our lives need to speak God. We need to be so God-centered and focused in our life. He told me that when he and Henry Blackaby were working on Experiencing God, many of you all remember Experiencing God, a great study, by the way, that he kept sending, he, he was, his job was to take the material that Henry Blackaby was writing and he was to put it into the book format that it was going to be used and also attach to that some questions to spur the hearts of people as they're going through the study. And he said he, he, would, he would send it a, a transcript back to Henry Blackaby and Henry Blackaby would write one word on it and send it back to him. He's write the word God. And he'd call and say, what do you, what do you mean? He said, you need to make this God centered. It's too man-centered. That's why, that's why it's so good, by the way. The material, if you've never been through it, it's, you need to go through it. It's so good because of that. And, and so Claude, you know, he helped me to understand our ministry needs to be God-centered, not man-centered. Amen? My life needs to be God-centered, not man-centered. He really helped me in my journey and in my walk with the Lord. He has blessed me immensely because of that. And you know why we need that? Because there is a New Testament word, and the word is koinonia. It is that word fellowship, and here's what it means. Because we need that because we are in our partnership together. We're living out our relationship together in partnership with one another. I like that, don't you? I'm in partnership with you. The local church is that divinely established place that which God has placed us in partnership with other Jesus followers. And we ought to... Heed Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to what it says. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good work. If I want to be the Christian I need to be, I need to hang out with you. Why? Because your job, my job, is to stir you up and you're to stir me up to what? To love, to love each other, to love God, to love those in the world that need the gospel. It is to stir each other to love and listen to good works. That is to serve to get engaged, out of our relationship with the Father, to serve. That's what we ought to be doing. He says, to love and your work, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, by exhorting one another, and so much more, you see there. Listen, we ought to be encouraging each other. Hey, don't miss church. Don't miss being together on Sunday. It's not the preacher's job to get up here and make you feel guilty about it. It's your job as one another's to go to each other and say, don't miss church. You probably heard this illustration, but it's worth sharing again. This preacher went out to visit a man who hadn't been in church in several months. And as they were sitting there warming themselves by the fire, 
the preacher began to sort of poke around in the fire and he found a coal that was, you know, by itself near the fire. It was still kind of red. And so just, he just took the little fire poker and he began to pull it and he pulled it to the edge of the fireplace. And as the conversation was taking place, and as they came towards the end of the conversation and the man was giving all these excuses about not going to church, not needing to go to church and that sort of thing, that coal began to turn from red hot to cold. And eventually it wasn't smoking and it wasn't heated anymore. And you could just reach down and pick it up. And the preacher used it as an object lesson. And he said, you know, when you're not in church around Christians, you're like that coal. You're pulled out of the fire and you're put off to the side. And the next thing you know, you've grown cold to God. Why? Because God has designed it out of him, out of, listen, out of his beauty of creating us like himself to be in fellowship with his people. That's God's design for you and for me. Let me close by just saying this. Why is it important? Two questions or two statements, then a verse, and I'll be done, I promise. You will never know God's best apart from fellowship with his people. Number two, the world will never know God apart from our fellowship. See, because Jesus said that crazy thing, that crazy, crazy thing, John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do we make an impact on the world? Listen, in our connection with each other. The reality is you cannot have a relationship with God and at the same time be disconnected from his church. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.